Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello, welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're excited to have Erica Donalds, President and CEO of the Optima Foundation. If this is your first time joining us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a program where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on topics at the intersection of education and culture. As always, we at CLT greatly appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. Don't forget, the CLT 10 is coming up on April 28th. Registration details can be found on our website, cltexam.com, and in the show notes. Now, without further ado, let's get on to the conversation. Welcome back to Anchored, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Today, we have a very exciting guest, Erica Donalds. Erica is the mother of three boys and a finance executive with a passion for education. She's offered her expertise in businesses to help further the expansion of high-quality school choice options and to improve accountability and governance in Florida's public schools. Erica is a former elected member of the Collier County School Board, and during her tenure, she co-founded the Florida Coalition of School Board Members and served as the group's president. She was appointed to Florida's 2018 Constitution Revision Commission by then Speaker of the House Richard Corcoran and recently served on Governor DeSantis's Advisory Committee on Education and Workforce Development. Erica is president and CEO of the Optima Foundation, which we'll talk about today, a nonprofit established to support and expand superior schools of choice. Erica, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So I, I'm really excited to learn a bit about your own background. What was your own education like uh, growing up? Did you go to a private school, homeschool, charter school? Uh, and how would you describe your experience? Was it was it good? Was it bad? Well, I went to public school most of my childhood. I had a couple of years of private school in kindergarten and first grade. But other than that, it was a public school system in Hillsborough County, Florida, which is the Tampa area. I went to Chamberlain High School, which is now a very low performing school with very high crime and uh, metal detectors at the doors. Uh, it wasn't too, too far away from that when I went there and graduated in 1998, but definitely didn't have a great educational experience. I was not a great student. I didn't really care much about school until it affected my ability to play basketball competitively, which I did in high school. And also just decided that I didn't want to live uh, paycheck to paycheck like I saw my own family living and my single mother uh, growing up. And I needed to go to college to make sure that I wasn't in that situation. And if I ended up a single mom, that I would be able to support myself and my children comfortably. So I decided I needed to straighten up, get eligible to play basketball my senior year, and also get into college. And I was fortunate enough to do well on the SAT and get my grades up enough to get bright futures and go to Florida State University. And at that point, I straightened up, got uh, graduated with honors with an accounting degree and just made sure that I did set myself up for future success using that foothold, that step of education to, to make sure that my children would have more opportunities than I did at the time. And tell us about that. How has motherhood 
uh, change your vision, uh, your convictions about education? Well, I think all of us as parents want to make sure that our children have options. That's really what it's about. I did not have options. I had, thankfully, the ability to get the bright futures on my own, but I never had a family or parents who encouraged me to go to college. My uh, mother didn't go to college or complete college. And there was not a conversation in my household about higher education and what I was going to do to support myself growing up. I just kind of had to figure that out on my own. And I wanted to make sure that my children, when they graduate high school, have a number of options available to them to be prepared to succeed in any of those options. And then you got uh, really involved in education uh, during your, your time serving on the, am I saying it right, Collier County? Collier, Collier County School Board. I actually Collier. got involved prior to that. I was one of those parents that saw mathematics change for my children. My oldest son was in third grade when Florida switched from uh, old math, if you will, to the Common Core math. And I had a lot of questions about that because he was very frustrated, went from being a uh, a student in math to crying about homework and being upset that he had to do things a certain way that he didn't really understand and that I didn't really understand. So I got involved in the Stop Common Core movement back 13 or 14 years ago in Florida. That was my first uh, foray into education. Um, from there, I discovered classical education when my second son uh, was in an A grade public school, one of the most desirable public schools in our area, but it just wasn't working for him. It worked well for my older son and, and this time it didn't work. And so I was looking for other options and found a small classical Christian school, discovered uh, the difference that classical education could make for a child that it's, it's well suited for. And that was my middle son and really got passionate about the idea of, of a traditional classical education model and a content-rich, knowledge-based education and wanted to provide that to more and more families who were looking for it in my community, got involved in starting a charter school. So I, I want to pause and try to understand this a little more. Uh, you know, I think a lot of conservatives hear Common Core and they react and they say, we don't, we don't like Common Core and, and don't, maybe don't always have good reasons why. Um, what were your concerns about Common Core, you know, during a time when you actually had a lot of conservatives, uh, Jeb Bush and others, who were really uh, instrumental in pushing it forward? Uh, what were some of your concerns about it? The biggest problem I had with it was that it felt very top down. When I went to my son's teacher and said, you know, why are you doing it this way? He's been learning it this other way. Why can't he just do it the normal way that he knows how to do it? And, and she was actually in tears because she herself mm. was having a hard time teaching these different methods and forcing the children to do it a way that they hadn't yet learned before when they knew um, and understood math in a certain way. And what I found out during that time is this teacher has no control over what she's teaching, even though she's the one closest to my child. Then I spoke to the principal who also had no control over the curriculum in his school. Then I spoke to the district who said, they don't have control over what type of curriculum is used. Then I had to go to the state representative who tells me that it's decided at the State Department of Education in the state of Florida, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous. How am I, a parent in Collier County, going to have any effect on what's being taught my child in the classroom if it's so far away from me, this decision making, whether it's in Tallahassee or a mandate from the federal government with an enticement of money, for the states to do this. So it wasn't so much at that point, the detail of the mode of 
mathematics as much as it was realizing that I, as a parent with a child in public school, had absolutely no control over what was happening in my child's classroom. So at that point, did you did you feel like a kind of a lone ranger? Were you with a coalition of parents? Um, I found like-minded parents across the state. We started an organization um, called Florida Parents Against Common Core, and we were advocating at the state level to uh, ask our state legislature and our Department of Education to get away from the mandates from the federal government that are requiring us to go a certain way with our standards, with our testing. And I think we were somewhat successful because you did see Florida kind of break away from Common Core and say, we have our Florida standards. We're not going full on with the Common Core, even though the standards are very, very similar. uh, There were very few changes. But the idea was that we as a state should control our standards, our curriculum, and our testing. We should not be getting those mandates from the federal government. And I think there was a wave of that in Florida. In fact, there was a time period where every candidate, no matter what you were running for, dog catcher to state representative, was all running anti-Common Core. They were all against Common Core. That's what they were running on. And so I, I believe we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish at that time. And you see Florida now leading the charge in some new standards, which are much more advantageous, in my belief, to our students and our families in Florida. Okay, so you mentioned this discovery of classical education, of classical Christian education. Uh, tell us about that. How, how did you kind of make this discovery? I was introduced to the principal of a small Christian classical school here. I went and visited him. His name is actually John Bruner. He's going to be the principal of Naples Classical Academy, which we're opening this year. So this was uh, 12 years ago where I first met with John Bruner. He explained classical education to me. And he's a, a teacher, an educator, and just the most passionate person about classical education you could ever meet. And he had me convinced from that first meeting. Then there was the challenge of bringing my son there, who was only in first grade, but he, if you know Darren, has a mind of his own, and I needed to get him on board with this move to a new school. And I'm very happy to say that Mr. Bruner also had Darren convinced of the value of classical education, even though there were no computers involved, and he was going to have to learn cursive, which he thought was going to be the most difficult thing of his life. But when Mr. Bruner started talking about the stories of history that he was going to be learning, uh, the Crusades and the Roman Empire and all of the historical figures and classic literature that Darren was going to get to read, his eyes just lit up. And from the day I moved him into classical education, he was a different student altogether. I would pick him up and he would just explode with all of the things he had been learning that day. And it was a huge difference from picking him up from the public school, the traditional public school that he was at, which was a daily battle with crying and misery. And I just am so thankful for having that option, which at the time I could barely afford. And it really put me in a position to say, how many other students are there like Darren, whose parents don't have the means to afford a private education? And how can I help them to get what they need for their kids? Darren's how old at this point? He's 13. He's in eighth grade. So he'll be going into high school next year. Okay. So, so at this point he was really young. He was like kindergarten. First grade. He was in first grade. Wow. Wow. I I think children are the most uh, astute observers of of quality education, just quality books. I am pretty recent uh, in discovering classical education myself the past six or seven years. And I would, would read, you know, would bring Aesop's fables home or Grimm's fairy tales as I'm making these discoveries. And, and it was like, they, they knew that this stuff was just better. 
than uh, a lot of the the new stuff that they were picking up at the at the, the public library. Um, all right, so Eric, I want to transition and, and learn about the Optima Foundation. I feel like I've heard about it from a bunch of different sources. Um, so this is kind of your baby. You started the Optima Foundation. You're the president. You're the CEO. Um, what is it? What kind of work do y'all do? I started the Optima Foundation several years ago in 2017 to help people start charter schools in their community and specifically classical charter schools in affiliation with Hillsdale College. Um, I had no idea that it would quickly turn into a charter management organization, but with my background as a CPA and the holes or gaps that I saw in the charter organizations or the charter schools that I had involvement with was that the business side of these multi-million dollar organizations was, was lacking. A lot of charter schools are started by educators uh, who are very well-meaning. They're very passionate about what they're doing and the academic side of things, but they frankly don't have the skills to manage a multi-million dollar organization. I came from the investment management industry where I um, oversaw $2 billion in assets under management. I did all of the compliance. I was the chief financial officer. So I have the experience to make sure that these schools are run well from a budgetary and compliance perspective. And my goal and my vision with the foundation is to give the principals and the teachers all of the time and resources that they need and they deserve in order to meet the needs of children and families in an academic environment. And so we take all of the non-academic aspects of running a school off of their plates so that they can really focus in on meeting the needs of those students and performing academically. Erica, my favorite part of a podcast interview. So, so here at CLT, we, we love, love, love books. I'm uh, wondering if there is maybe a single book out there that, that for you has been most impactful, most formative. Maybe it's a book that you come back to year over year. This is such a difficult question because I am a reader, but I, I read a lot of nonfiction and in a variety of topics. I mean, my Audible, especially I'm a big Audible person, has everything from the, the Christian self-help books from uh, Joyce Meyer and Lisa Turkhurst to Free to Choose and uh, the, the Laws of Power and, and those types of books. And then I also, of course, love all the education reform books. And there's some tremendous ones out there that are very inspiring when it comes to expanding school choice. Um, so I'm going to give you a couple from different categories and I'll cheat a little bit and do that. But Free to Choose, I'm a huge fan of Milton Friedman. I'm a big free market person and I love Milton Friedman's um, work period, but I think everyone should read free to choose, um, required reading, in my opinion, uh, from a Christian perspective, um, the best. Yes. Lisa Turkers to me was a great life changing book because I, and people like me type a hardworking personalities. We, we like to do a lot of good things. And the premise of that book is that just because it's good, doesn't mean it's God. It doesn't mean that that you need to do it. And you could be the one to empower and help other people to do it and do it well. Um, but I'm one of those people that likes to say yes to a lot of things. So uh, The Best Yes was a, a really great book for me. Um, and then I, when it comes to education reform books, oh, it's so hard to choose one of them. There's so many great ones. Um, Weapons of Mass Instruction, Joel Klein's book, Lessons of Hope is amazing. Reinventing America's Schools. I don't know if you've read that one by David Osborne, but it's the politics of expanding school choice in different political arenas in states and cities. And I recommend it for those who are trying to work to expand school choice in their state, city, community. 
and understanding all of the aspects of what it takes to expand school choice, not just good policy, but unfortunately, good politicians are required as well. So, Eric, a follow-up question for you. I mean, you're working so hard and doing wonderful work uh, to, to, to make school choice a reality for, for every parent. Uh, are you optimistic about the future? Do you feel like, are we turning the corner uh, as a nation? I am not that optimistic about the future of school choice right now. I am very happy to live in Florida because we are constantly expanding school choice here. But even in Florida, the nation's leader in school choice, only 10% of our students are in charter schools and a much smaller fraction of our students have the availability of private scholarships for for private schools. Uh, It's based on income, which is very limiting. The largest portion of students in our state do not have access to school choice. They are limited by their zip code and by their income. And that I call a lot of these gap families that make too much money to get a scholarship, but too little to afford private school for their kids. And so uh, even in a state like Florida, where I appreciate all the great policy work that has been done, it's simply not enough. And I don't see other states doing what radically needs to happen in order to change education for the future of our children and our country. Unfortunately, the teachers unions are still extremely strong in our country across the nation and in many states and localities. And they are the enemy of choice. They are the enemy of children's ability to get a great education. They are the enemy of free markets and competition, which can really explode the quality of education options in our country. And until they are uh, put into their, their proper place, which would for me would be obsolete, um, they, we are not gonna have the options that we truly need to, to bring our country forward. I do think that COVID has created a great opportunity for us because parents have seen the low quality of curriculum that all our public schools, many private schools even are delivering. They got to see it firsthand and they are looking for other options. But I think it's gonna take perhaps a generation for them to really get the options that they deserve. And technology, I think, is going to be a big part of that. And we're trying to take advantage of that here, opening a virtual classical public charter option in Florida that I hope will spread across the nation. That's wonderful. Again, we're here with Erica Donalds, uh, founder, president, CEO of the Optima Foundation. Erica, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. I appreciate being able to spread the message of school choice and classical education. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with friends and colleagues. Look forward to having you join us next week.